and my drum me and my drum Good morning and welcome to Northside. So glad to have you here with us this morning. I'm Ian. I'm the youth and family pastor here at Northside. And uh, I just want to welcome you personally for being with us this morning. And, uh, man, forgive me, those four steps were intense. I don't know what that was. Man, got me all out of breath. I had one too many cookies this morning. Thank you, Miss Betty, wherever you are. Thank you for those cookies. It was wonderful. Uh, she brings the students' cookies every morning. So if you want to bring some to me, you can do that. Uh, my office is right around here. Um, I like chocolate. Just that simple. Um, but no, just want to thank you guys for being here. Want to give a little bit of a report. We had our student uh, Christmas party last night at the Bakers, and so I uh, had a great time there. And I got schooled in ping pong. Um, I also got schooled in some trivia. I was running the trivia, and that was terrible for the students because I couldn't remember anything. And uh, so they were actually telling me what was right and wrong. So that was fun. And my wife was rolling her eyes as she does. And so. Uh, but we had a great time there last night and uh, sat around. We were going to watch a movie. We put the movie on, then they heard there was foosball and ping pong. No one watched the movie except my wife. And so <laughs> she was inside watching the movie, having a good old time. So we had a wonderful time last night. And uh, secondly, I did want to talk about a little bit about the True Church Conference. We're taking our students to that. And I wanted to share this praise. We've actually gotten uh, some generous donations and love, and I actually have six spots completely free of cost for our students. So I've got six open spots for a student to come. We were asking for $20 a student. So I've got right now six open spots, completely free, no, no cost to a student. So if you know somebody looking, man, send them our way. We've got a free conference for them to go to. I've only got six spots of that. So first come, first serve on that. But I just wanted to give a round of applause to God for that uh, because so incredible because for many, that cost, even if it's minimal sometimes, it's kind of that, that roadblock. And so 
being able to have that, I said last week, I didn't want that to be a hindrance, and God said it's not going to be. So thank you guys for those of you that gave. Thank you so much for that. So uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, if you'd open up your bulletin, there's a tear-off tab in there. If you would, uh, just put down your information. We'd love to come visit with you, love to catch up with you, and uh, just generally harass you. Uh, it'd be a great time for us. I'd love to come knock on your door and, and uh, see what kind of cookies you have, so please do that. Um, and then uh, also, if you are not on our one call system, if you would, uh, our one call is if you're a church member, it allows us to keep in contact to uh, be able to reach out to you. Actually, some of the we did a, a warning this week. If you got a call or text about the poinsettias, we are doing that, so you can continue to do that. I'll actually pick up some this week. So if you want to get your poinsettias in and do a in memory of, you can still do that. I know we've got them up here, but I'm just getting ahead of myself. So we are still doing that this week, so you can still call in. I'll extend that till this Wednesday. Um, but uh, if you want to be on the one call, if you just also, if you're a member, if you put that on the, just put that on the tear-off tab, drop that in the offering plate when it comes around. That way we can get your number. Put an act, put a number on there too. Don't just say we want to be on there. Put the number you want on there. I just realized I didn't say that. And I would, I would be the guy that would just go, yeah, put me on and throw it in there. So um, anyway, so we're going to stand up, and uh, if you would, welcome those around you, and we'll get started this morning.
If you guys will remain standing, we'll go ahead and enter into our time of worship. But let's open up this morning with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And we come to you this morning in a spirit of humble adoration and praise, Lord. Father, this morning we join in with the angels that are surrounding your throne that are singing praises eternally forever. And we join with them to lift up our voices and our hearts in song, Lord, to sing praises to you and to worship you specifically for the birth of your son that we're going to celebrate here in a few days, Lord. Father, I pray that as we lift our voices, as we lift our hearts, our songs, and our talents, Lord, that, that you will inhabit our praise with your spirit, Lord. And that, Father, may we know that we have been in your presence this morning as we lift our voice, Father. Lord, over the next 15 to 20 minutes, Lord, we simply want to take a moment and tell you through song how much we love you, how much we adore you, how much we worship you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. We're going to start out this morning with a, with a very old one, one you may or may not know. We're going to do it a cappella style without music. We'll sing through it twice. You guys join in if you know it or second time through as you pick it up. We get the slide up. There we go. Sing we now a Christmas. Noel, sing we here. Listen to our praises to the babe so dear. Sing we Noel, the King is born Noel. Sing we now a Christmas, sing we all Noel again. Sing we now a Christmas, Noel, sing we here. Listen to our praises. To the babe so dear, sing we Noel, the King is born Noel. Sing we now a Christmas, sing we all Noel. Angels we
service where we're able to give back to the one who's given us so much. And he's asked us to give not out of compulsion, not of obligation, but out of love, out of love for him and out of appreciation for all that he is and all that he's done. I want to ask us to bow our heads together in prayer. Lord, we bow in your presence in recognition of your holiness, of your perfections, of your provision of the abundant grace which is poured out on us each and every day. And Lord, we ask now that as we give of our tithes and our offerings, that you would bless us in our obedience, that you would bless the offering to the furthering of your kingdom, the expansion of the gospel, and to the strengthening of your church. May all that we do be as a reflection of our love for you, and may we do it in such a way as to bring glory to the great name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's in that name that we pray. Amen. Tears are falling, hearts are breaking. How we need to hear from God. You've been promised, we've been waiting. Welcome, holy child. Peace into our violence. 
Sunday night, we do something on Sunday nights occasionally where, you know, just a kind of a, you pick the songs we're going to sing. And last Sunday night, you guys stumped me with one I did not know, and I don't like to be stumped, so I went home and figured it out. Come to find out, I knew it all along, just didn't recognize it, so this morning we're going to sing it, since we did it last Sunday. Um, it's a very, very old Christmas hymn. If you know it, follow along. If you don't, it's very, very easy to pick.
dismiss our children to Children's Church. Danielle and Trey will be meeting them at the back. And and I just looked down at my microphone and I have a red light, so I need to change my battery before we get started. You know, you always check that before you get started. It starts off green. By the time you get to the sermon, it turns red on you, and you're afraid it might not last the whole time. So, for, for those of you expecting to uh, be in 1 Peter this morning, we have taken a step out of 1 Peter to uh, focus our attention onto the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the special celebration that is Christmas and um, So I want to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. And it is in this uh, opening chapter of Matthew's Gospel account that we are first given this genealogy that that explains a little bit of, of who this Jesus is that came into the world. And Matthew begins by telling, telling us of, of where he comes from and basically establishing his rightful claim to an earthly throne. But what's interesting is when you get out of those first 17 verses and you transition into verses 18 through 25 where we're going to be going, that, that Matthew shows us not only was Jesus intended for an earthly throne, but he was also intended for a heavenly throne. As he is revealed to be Emmanuel. He is revealed to be God with us. This was no mere child that was born on that Christmas so many years ago. This was not just another child that that would do miraculous things in accordance with God's plan, but this was, in fact, God in human flesh. We have in this account in Matthew, faith is extremely important, and especially when it comes to Christmas. I mean, sometimes we think about Christmas, and we, and, uh, we know that, you know, Jesus came and he came to save and he came to save sinners and and we rejoice in that and and we reflect on that but a lot of times we don't stop to think what all was necessary to make that even possible you see the incarnation is what made salvation possible for us 
The incarnation is, is the reality that God took on human flesh. As Colossians 2.9 tells us, for in Him, referring to Jesus, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. God in human flesh. When we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating the fact that God condescended to us to dwell with us, to become one of us in order that we might know Him better. And you see, the problem with, with not understanding this or the, the problem with not making this a big deal is that at the root of almost every false teaching that arises against Christianity is the denial that Jesus is God. And, and when you look at the, the false teachers throughout the ages and throughout the years, it just continually comes up against the, the truth of who Christ is and what He accomplished that the first thing that the false teachers begin to attack is the deity of Jesus. They say, well, He really wasn't God or, or he, he only possessed the Spirit of God or, or, he, or He was just a man that God was using in a powerful way. And, and there, throughout history, there have been those who have sought to deny the deity of Jesus, which stands in opposition to the clear teaching of Scripture. It makes a mockery of our celebration of Christmas. And it even stands in opposition to St. Nicholas himself. Now that's probably not the most important of, on that list that I just gave you, but it got your attention, didn't it? You see, Nicholas was bishop in Myra, Turkey, and, uh, early on in church history. And there was this man who was a priest in Egypt by the name of Arius. And Arius began to teach that Jesus was a created being. He didn't deny that he was the Son of God, but he denied his infiniteness. He denied his full deity. He denied so much about him. And as his teaching began to infiltrate the church, the Christian church brought together a council to discuss this teaching. And it said that Nicholas was present at this council, the Council of Nicaea. And as Arius was giving his presentation, Nicholas flew into him and with one forceful punch, sent him to the ground. He was not hearing of anybody that would deny the deity of Jesus Christ. That just shows you how passionate Nicholas was about the deity of Jesus, about the incarnation, about this reality that Jesus was Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This truth is not only captured for us in these verses that we're going to be looking at here momentarily, and it's not only merely an aspect of our faith, but it is the very foundation of our faith attested to throughout Scripture in order that we might have a sure foundation. And while the teaching of Arius, known as Arianism, has long been condemned as heresy to the Christian church, it has throughout the ages reared its head in many different forms as people continue to seek to undermine the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints, which we are commanded to contend for. And so as we approach Christmas, it's not just a celebration of the birth of a Savior, it's the celebration of the foundation of our faith. It's the celebration of a salvation that was accomplished 
in this child who was Emmanuel, who was God in human flesh. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's Word as we read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word this morning, Father, we have already taken care of the most important aspect of our worship as we have heard your word. And we pray, Lord, as we seek to know it better and seek to understand it and its applications to life, Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and that you would speak to us this morning, that we might know you better and that we might become better witnesses for the sake of the gospel and that we might be conformed to the image of Christ, so that in all things, you might receive glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Be seated. The title for my message this morning is simply Emmanuel, coming to us from verses 22 and 23 of our text is Matthew says that all the things about the life or about the birth of Jesus are to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Now a virgin shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. That is the doctrine of the incarnation. God in human flesh. Literally. God with us. Matthew gives us that translation because a lot of us aren't familiar with biblical Hebrew from which Matthew's quoting. And even in Matthew's audience, there were those, although he's writing to a primarily Jewish audience, he understands that there's people in his audience that are not Jews. The Gentiles are coming to faith. And Matthew was writing and he says, they don't all know this. They, they called him Emmanuel, which by the way means God with us. And While they thought at one time this may have been fulfilled in a different way, it has now been fulfilled in its fullest sense as Christ has come into the world. When you look back at the prophet Isaiah, that is where Matthew is quoting from, and in chapter 7 and verse 14 in particular, 
we see this, this quote coming to us out of the Old Testament. And, and you go back and if you read Isaiah chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, there's a lot to be said about this child who would come into the world. There's a lot to be said about what would, about what would happen and, and what it meant for him to be there. And, and, uh, and immediately following this in, in, chapter, in chapter 8 of Isaiah, Isaiah goes into his wife and, and they conceive a son. And, and, there's, and there's so many of the old prophet or the old uh, rabbis and, and scholars that would say, well, well, when he says that the, the virgin shall, bear a, shall be with child and shall bear a son and calls him Emmanuel, he was talking about not, not necessarily a virgin or maybe someone who was a virgin at, at the time this prophecy was spoken, but that who would later conceive and, and then this prophecy would be fulfilled in that. And so they would see in Isaiah's son this prophecy coming to fulfillment and yet as Matthew looks at this and he's looking back he's he uses this word fulfill here and in the word fulfill you know we typically think of fulfilling prophecy as just meeting certain criteria and and it is that but it's more than that the word literally means to be filled completely to to not just fulfill but to fully fill or fill fully that which was spoken of Isaiah and of course you know, Matthew had the benefit, you know, Jesus, you know, came along and, and called Matthew and he was one of the apostles and he walked with Christ and, and Jesus told him as they taught him and we see this in the Gospels and, and Jesus taught him, he said, you know what, all those Old Testament prophecies, they're really about me. And so as Matthew's studying back through the Old Testament and he's looking at these prophecies and, and he's saying, oh, I see, when Jesus was born, this fulfilled what Isaiah was saying. And it's not just that. It's not just that, because when you read about this, this prophecy of this child and, and, and who he was, and, and we're going to talk about this more in a minute, we're going to see that, that although it may have been partially fulfilled in Isaiah's son, in that there were some things that God was doing among his people, Isaiah was ministering to a people who were, who were under, uh, who were under the, the oppression of the Assyrian Empire, Assyria was, was coming against Israel as God's judgment against them. And God says, listen, this, this son's going to come along and he's going to be an example. He's going to be a sign to you that God is with you. And he was. He was a sign that God was with them. He was, he was the reality. In fact, when we go back and we, and we look in Isaiah's prophecy and, and some of these texts, and, which I'm going to share with you here in a minute, we'll see that some of this was in part fulfilled but it was fully filled in the coming of Jesus who wasn't only a sign of God being with us but who was in fact God with us and so I want you to see this morning I want you to see the the importance of this announcement this announcement of Emmanuel coming that Matthew gives us and and, and we see here that when Matthew says there in, in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be... I'm sorry, back up to 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. What's really interesting is when you look at this, and, and you may have wondered even as we were reading this, you say, but they didn't call him Emmanuel, they called him Jesus. So how can Matthew say that they show this is a fulfillment of the prophecy when they called him 
Jesus. They didn't, they didn't call him Emmanuel. And then you think, well, maybe it was fulfilled back in Isaiah. And, well, the reality is that child that was born had a really hard name to say, Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, or Hashbaz, or my Hebrew's a little rusty, so you're going to have to forgive me. But, uh, but they didn't call him Emmanuel either, but yet he's supposed to be a, a figurative fulfillment of that, and yet they didn't call him that. But see, the, when Isaiah says, they shall call him Emmanuel, he's not talking about the, what the parents are going to name him. Because both in Isaiah's case and in Mary and Joseph's case, they're given very specific instructions from the Lord to give the child the name that they're giving. So when he says they shall call him, he's talking about this is how he'll be known by the people. The people will recognize him as the reality that God is with us. And so it's pointing forward um, to the reality that God has not forgotten his promises to his people. And in a much more full sense, Christ, Jesus, fulfills this reality, this promise that God will send this child into the world. And as, and as we think about that, that fulfillment, we think about that promise. Even in Isaiah's day, as Isaiah wrote that, you know, scholars are not sure whether or not he knew that there was a future fulfillment. He only knew what was going on. He knew the circumstances that they were in, and God was speaking to him and giving him hope. And then as you read through Isaiah chapter 7, 8, and 9, and, and you get to, excuse me, and you get to chapter 8, verse 8, and it's speaking of God's wrath, and, and, it, says it, and it says it will sweep into Judah, it will overflow and pass through. It will reach even to the neck and the spread of its wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Now this is right after he's made the prophecy that they're going to have a son, they're going to call him Emmanuel. The son's been born, and now God says, listen, judgment is coming. It's coming into the land of Emmanuel, the land of, that, that God is with us. And then as he goes on and he's calling the people to repentance. And then in verse number 10, as he continues to call, he says, devise a plan, but it will be thwarted. State a proposal, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Which is, in Hebrew, is exactly the same exact word as Emmanuel in, back in verse 8. And so, so that's why people look back and they say, well, that was fulfilled. That was fulfilled in, in Isaiah's son. But you know what? If you keep reading, God continues to reveal some things about this child that could not have been fulfilled in Isaiah's son. You get into chapter 9 of Isaiah, and, and the Lord reveals, he says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That says that this child will be God. Well, that wasn't Isaiah's kid. But when Jesus came into the world, he filled fully this prophecy which was spoken by Isaiah. He, he brings to the fullest amount this truth that Emmanuel had come. And in the most literal sense possible, he was God with us. That's the importance of this announcement. It, it is the fulfilling of Scripture. It is the fulfilling of God's Word. It's, it's the recognition that, that while God is just in everything that He does, God is just in punishing sin. God is just in, in, 
in all of that, He's also merciful. And He desires to give us forgiveness for ourselves through His Son Jesus, who was God in the flesh. As John 1.14 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That was the importance of the announcement. But I want you to also to see the indications of his birth, the, the evidence, that is, that he was the fulfillment. As we said, Isaiah's wife may have been a virgin when Isaiah received prophecy, but she wasn't afterwards. It was Isaiah's kid. It, it, I mean, Scripture tells us Isaiah went into her, and they conceived, and they had this child. Mary's another story. And, and what we've seen, now the birth of Jesus, it's, it's actually the Hebrew word Genesis, um, it's the beginning. The beginning of Jesus was as follows. And it says, His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. It's so easy to overlook that. It's so easy to think, well, you know, that's just giving us some background information. No. God is revealing to us a plan in which, in which He is bringing about His promises, in which He is providing the exact circumstances which are necessary to fulfill his promises. And so he has this plan in place, and, and, and we see there in verse 18 that, that Mary and Joseph, they're, they're betrothed. And some of you that have, that have been in church for a while, you know and understand that this betrothal process in, in Jewish uh, custom, it was, it was a period of engagement that lasted a year. It was the same as being married without living together. It was a contract that could only be annulled by divorce. And... and uh, but, it was, but if you think about the circumstances which this provided for Mary and for Joseph, this was a circumstance which ensured Mary's purity. I mean, part of the reason they had this year-long betrothal was to ensure the purity of the bride. Because you, sign the con you get the contract with the, with the parents and you say, okay, I'm going to take her as my wife, and they say, well, we're going to hold her back so that you know for sure that she's pure because... In a year's time, if she hadn't showed up with a, with a kid, you know that she's pure, right? I mean, that was kind of some of the thought behind it. And so that was part of the betrothal process. It's like, you, you know, you get to the end of the year, she hasn't had any kids, so she's, you know, we're just showing you, we're ensuring her purity for you. But, but what happens? Mary shows up with a kid. She's pregnant. And, and it's a surprise to them. In fact, it says there in verse 18, it says, before they came together, she was found to be with child. That word found, it's actually, it's an, in its expression that shows that there, it was genuine surprise. Like, nobody could believe it. Like, this, this Mary, she had, she had a good reputation. They didn't understand how it could have happened. They, and they were genuinely surprised. And Joseph was like, he was confused. He was hurt. Didn't know what was going on. But you know what? In, in God's plan in all of this, in, in picking this betrothed couple and, uh, and recognizing it was protecting the purity of Mary, God also knew the character of Joseph. And, and God knew this, this guy Joseph, and we see this. I mean, he, it calls him a righteous man in the text. It says that he was a righteous man. But we see that because what's his response when he finds out that his, his betrothed is pregnant? He's not vindictive. He's compassionate. And he doesn't want to make a big fuss about it. He doesn't want to bring shame 
on Mary. He knows that she's going to have to endure shame. If this goes on and he carries out this plan of divorce in a quiet manner while he might avoid some of the scandal that could be associated with it, she's still going to bring this child into the world and she's still going to suffer some, some shame, but he just doesn't, he's just like, she's going to have enough to deal with, I'm not going to make it worse. Now, he could have, he could have called for, for stoning. I mean, he could have had her put to death for, for, for that violation. That was part of their law. But Joseph was, he was a compassionate man. He was a righteous man. He didn't, he wasn't vindictive. He wasn't harsh, and, and, and God knew that about him. And, and you think about that, and you think, man, what a, what a guy for the Lord to pick to be the adoptive father of his son. And so, so God's plan is, is coming together and it's revealed to us here as we see this family unit which, which God has established and which he wants to bring his son into in order to accomplish this reality that this child would be God in human flesh. Which means he was not simply Joseph's kid. He was God's son, conceived of the Holy Spirit. As we see at the, verse, at the end of verse 18, he says, he was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, at that point, Joseph doesn't know it yet, because in 19 it says, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. That means he planned, he planned to divorce her, wasn't going to make a big deal about it. But when he had considered this, and this is, this is you've got to love how God works. Because in the situations that are impossible for us, God can work. And, and the things, when we come into circumstances and we can't see a way out and we don't understand why things are happening and the world seems to be crashing in around us, the things that are impossible for us are possible with God. And so while Joseph has a plan on how he's going to respond, God says, no, I've got a different plan for you. I've got a new direction for you. And, and, and this is... This is just the awesome way that God works. When we're open to listening to God, and we're not just trying to do things our own way, we're not just trying to pursue things, and, 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 we, and we believe that God will direct, and God will lead, and God will guide, when we believe that and we trust Him to do it, we, we may come up with a plan, but we're open to his, leader, his leading, God will direct us in those impossible situations in order that His will might be accomplished in order that he might be glorified in the midst of our impossible circumstance. That's how good God is. And so God, when Joseph had considered this, in verse 20, it says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name so now, Joseph's been given full disclosure. And what does he do? What does he do? Go, to, go all the way to the end of verse, 25, or verse 24. It says, Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. So to further protect Mary's reputation, she's been found to be with child, Joseph says, Come on into the house. I'm going to protect you. If anybody's going to say anything, this may be a little unorthodox, but if anybody's going to say anything, they're going to say, this is my kid. And Joseph allows 
or God allows through Joseph and Mary through their betrothal process, through the relationship that they had. He allows Mary's purity to be protected. He allows Mary and this child who's been conceived of the Holy Spirit to be provided for. And God has perfectly provided the circumstances for which to bring His Son into the world who would be God in flesh. It is conceived of the Holy Spirit. That is, Joseph had no part in the conception of this child. Mary was pure. God had ensured her purity through these circumstances. And it was only by ensuring her purity. It was only by the evidence that that we read about here. This, This was the means by which God used to provide a family for His Son coming into the world who would be both God, conceived of the Holy Spirit, and man, born of mankind. This was Emmanuel. Fully God. Fully man. In human flesh. Born into the world. But I want you also to see the implication of Emmanuel's coming. We've talked about the announcement. We've talked about his birth. Now let's look at the significance of his coming. I mean, y'all know where I'm going with this, but you got to enjoy the journey. Amen? I mean, this, this child that, that came who is, who is God in the flesh, we're, we're being told of how all of this happens in order to produce a nature in this child that would accomplish his ultimate mission. The nature is revealed in the name Emmanuel, but the mission is revealed to us in the name Jesus. And that's the mission that the angel reveals to Joseph. Look back into verse 21. He says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, that, that name Jesus, it's the, it's the equivalent to the, to the old Hebrew name for Joshua. In fact, some, sometimes in, in the New Testament, especially in, in the King James in particular, you'll have some places where the name Joshua is where it should be Jesus because it's in reference to Jesus, but it's because Jesus and Joshua are really the same name, okay? You've you got you to understand that, okay? As your biblical history and going through that, Jesus and Joshua, it's, it's the, same, the same name, okay? And they both mean the same thing, and this is what it means. The Lord is salvation. That was his mission. The angel told Joseph, this child that's coming is conceived of the Holy Spirit, which means, guess what? It's God. God is coming in the flesh. And he says and he has a mission to accomplish, that he is going to save people from their sins. Why? Because people need to be saved. Because we are living in a world that is under the curse of sin. That we are enslaved to sin. That we are drawn out by sin. That we are directed and and controlled by sin. And we need to be delivered. And this Jesus who came into the world was going to accomplish that. He was the promised Messiah. You know, you go back and you read through Isaiah's prophecy prophecies again and and, you you think about the child that was born and he's going to be God and and he's going to... He's going to do all of these things, and the most significant thing that he's going to do is revealed to us in Isaiah 53, where he talks about how he is going to be our sin bearer. By his stripes, 
we will be healed. That He's going to take our sin upon Himself and He's going to appease the wrath of the Father against sin. Isaiah 53 is so specific about how all this is going to accomplish that you know, if you were just to take Isaiah 53 and just write it down without any reference to anybody and you were to take it to somebody who may not be real well versed in the Bible and you just ask them, who's this talking about? And they're going to say Jesus. Because it's so, it's, it's what he did. And there, there's no mistaking what he did for that prophecy which was written 700 years before Jesus came into the world. But Isaiah said this is what he's going to do because people are stuck in their sin. Our root problem, the root problem for the people, and that while they were looking for the Messiah, they were looking for a deliverer, they didn't always recognize that, that when Jesus came the first time, he was coming to deal with the root of the problem. And the root of the problem was sin. They thought their problem was economic. They thought their problem was social. They thought their problem was the relationship with the authorities. No, their problem wasn't social, it wasn't economic, it was spiritual. And their pro- their, the problem with the relationship wasn't the relationship with the authorities, it was the relationship with God. And, and so, this child that's come into the world, who is God in flesh, has come to resolve that issue. The root of all problems is sin. It's our insistence on doing things our way. Sin is, is what? Selfish in nature, right? I mean, real easy way to remember what sin is. Selfish in nature. The things that we do, that, that we, when we demand our way, when we, when we think only about what we gain, when we're trying to think about what, what makes us happy, when we're thinking about our pride, when we're yielding to desires um, that, that bring us pleasure, not in accordance with God's will, but simply because we want to. That's sin. And the Bible tells us that that sin creates a problem for us. It brings separation with God. Sin, the wages of sin is death. That creates an even bigger problem for us. Because every time we sin, we're given a death sentence. Every time we sin. So how can we ever get away from it? How can we ever come over, overcome it? We only have one life to give. We die once, we pay for one sin. There's still a whole bunch more to pay for. But that's why it was necessary for Jesus to come. And to come in the nature with which he came. Because only only a man can pay for man's sin. I mean, mankind sinned against God. The whole sacrificial system that was set up was to show that God is just, that sin requires a, a blood sacrifice, it requires life to be paid for, but the blood of bulls and goats was not sufficient to take away sin. It was only meant to be as a picture of that one sacrifice that would come later on. And then Christ comes into the world who is, who is a man that can fully take on that responsibility of bearing sin. Why? Well, because he was perfect. Because he was righteous. Because he was sinless. Right? So you have a perfect, righteous, sinless guy that that came in order to be a sacrifice, to be a substitute for for mankind. Well, the problem is is that he's only a man. He can only pay for one other person's sin. Because he's just one human life. But he's not just man. He's also God. He is the infinite Son of God. 
And because He is God in human flesh, He is able to pay for the sins of an innumerable number of people, an innumerable number of sins, for an innumerable amount of time. Because He is eternal. And so, because of His eternal nature, and because of His man nature, both together in one person, is He is able to do what the angel said He would do. And that is to save us from our sins. His coming was to save. And His nature as the God-man, as the incarnate God, made it possible. Matthew gives us these, these realities and these truths so that when we think about the birth of Jesus, we're not just thinking about a baby in a manger. We're not just, we're not just thinking about just how this, you know, this baby was so sweet that came into the world and God just did miraculous things through him. This child, was God in human flesh that he might grow to be a substitutionary sacrifice for us. That he might stand in our place, take on God's wrath for our sin, and satisfy God's wrath against sin. This unique combination of God and man represents to us the only means by which salvation can come. This is why there is salvation in no one else. And there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Because there's been no other satisfaction for sin other than Jesus. Because no one else could fulfill the requirements that were necessary because there has been no other God-men in history. There is only Christ. There is only this one who is Emmanuel, who is God with us, who represents to us and demonstrates for us this doctrine that we talked about that St. Nicholas fought for. It's just an amazing image to me just to think about St. Nicholas being a defender of the faith, just fighting for, for the, the doctrine of the incarnation, for recognizing the importance that this is for us. This is the reason that we celebrate Christmas. If it was not for the Incarnation, we wouldn't celebrate Christmas because there would be no power in what Jesus did. But because He was God and because He was man, He was able to deliver us from sin. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says it this way, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so He might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So this Christmas, as you think about Christ coming into the world, and you think about the celebration of the birth of this special child, remember who he was. Remember why he came. Understand he was Emmanuel. And he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Now, he, he was when he was on the earth, but he still is. Because by faith in his name, through the repentance of sins and the proclamation of faith in His name, we are saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the passion is made unto salvation. And when we believe, Christ comes to dwell in us. He is still our 
Emmanuel. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for sending your Son. I thank you for the forgiveness of sin which was accomplished at the cross. This time of year, we celebrate your birth. But it's ultimately because of what you came to do that makes this celebration so significant. And Lord, we so often, though we may have been forgiven in the past, Lord, we still struggle. We still need your presence. We still need your forgiveness. Lord, we confess before you this morning that we are a people in need. And while Christmas ought to be a time of joy and and restoration and, and celebration, it also ought to be a time of reflection and repentance and confession. As we recognize the necessity of you sending your Son and the great love that is demonstrated in that precious gift given to us. Lord, we're weak, but we have hope. We have hope in your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that has not come to the point of recognizing their sin before you, they've not come to the point of surrendering themselves to the lordship of Christ, they've not come to the point of finding forgiveness and hope in Jesus. I pray that you would draw them to yourself this morning. And for the rest of us, Lord, I just pray that this would be a reminder to us that we have been called to contend for the faith and that the significance of Christmas isn't just in wishing people a Merry Christmas instead of a Happy Holiday, but the significance of Christmas is in that child who came to be God with us because we so desperately needed you. Touch our hearts. Lead us in your way that we might continue to honor you in all that we do. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's stand together.